0: Amen. Thank you to the worship team for leading us this morning. It's good to be here with you uh, today. Some of you I haven't seen since last year. Man, I've been waiting a whole week to play, to do that joke. Forgive me. Andy Bob Ward's back there shaking his head. Not because it's embarrassing, but because he wanted to say that joke. That's why he's shaking his head. But uh, anyways, it's good to be with you this morning. Happy New Year to you all. Uh, I want to be praying for the Brewer family. They uh, all came down with Charlie Vector 19, and uh, we want to pray for their recovery. I think they're doing well. texted with Lee last night, and uh, he says that they're doing okay. But we do want to pray for a speedy recovery for them. But Pastor Lee, if you're watching, thank you so much for the opportunity to preach God's Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to the book of 1 Peter Book of 1 Peter chapter 1, if you would turn there, we're going to read verses 3 through 12. And I want you to consider what Pastor Lee has been talking about. Important if true. Think about that. We know as Christians, God's Word is the truth. It is the absolute truth. But what we're going to read today, just think about this. Since this is true... Man, this is the utmost importance. And so this morning as we read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-12, through I'd like to ask that we stand out of the reverence of reading God's Word. Starting in verse 3, Peter says, "...Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, which are things into which angels long to look. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now thanking you so much for this opportunity to read and discuss your word. I pray, Lord, that you will be glorified through this. I pray today that you have been worshipped, that you have been lifted high. Thank you so much for Jesus Christ, that he has died for our sins and he's been raised from the dead. He truly is our only hope. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, the letter of 1 Peter, most biblical scholars agree that this letter was most likely written around 62 AD during the time of Nero's reign in ancient Rome. That is a very important historical figure, by the way. That's also very helpful to help us understand even the historical context of the Scriptures. And the author of this letter was obviously the Apostle Peter. He was one of the original 12 disciples. Most of you most likely know that. But alongside Peter was his companion, Sylvanus. And Peter is ascribed to being the main author of this particular epistle, yet Sylvanus most likely helped put this letter together, and that is in chapter 5. And this epistle was addressed to the already established churches who had been dispersed throughout Asia Minor. Now that is modern day Turkey for us today. The majority of the audience in First Peter were new Gentile Christians and very few Jewish Christians. But in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 1, uh, there's a list of five churches that are mentioned here. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia, not Azel, good grief. Azel definitely ain't listed in the Bible, I'll tell you what, they're, they're heathens over there. Um, but Asia, excuse me, and Bithynia. Now these locations are very important even here because they were actually also mentioned in Acts chapter 2. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Acts chapter two, this is where the big historical event and a big, huge spiritual event took place in Christendom. This was the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came down and indwelled believers, and Peter was the one who preached there in Jerusalem. And over three thousand people, we know three no, thousand at least, were saved. <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. I tell you what; those Hazel jokes are not good. All right. Excuse me. I I lost my voice a little bit. We went to medieval times last night as a family and I, I got a little too much into it. And I screamed a little bit last night. So forgive me. But what's cool here is that Peter was there on the day of Pentecost there in Jerusalem and he preached. He says, you are the ones who killed the Christ and they fell in repentance. And it says that the Holy Spirit came upon them and it indwelled the believers In this letter, these locations were actually listed in Acts chapter 2. So these people that Peter is writing, that he's writing to, they're very familiar with him. Peter was a well known apostle. He was a prominent leader within the Christian church. But the main understanding we're going to see here in chapter 1 of 1 Peter is this very thing that those who persevere in faith even while suffering persecution, if that should be God's will, should also be full of hope. Because Christians will certainly enjoy end-time salvation because they have already lived in God's saving promises here and now through the death and the resurrection of Christ. That's what we're going to see today. So in verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. His immediate response was just to simply praise God. He states here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He considers it a great salvation. Therefore, he begins to praise the Lord because we see that this great salvation that God gives us, we can understand that God is worthy of our praise. He truly is worthy of our praise. And it's because the motive of God's redemptive work is not found or based upon us. It is based solely upon the person of Jesus Christ. And in this section of Scripture, it's really as if Peter is almost recording a song. Recording a song has an attitude of praise. Because when we think about the great love and the mercy that God has demonstrated towards us through Christ... It really is something to praise God about. Yes, again, He is worthy of our worship. And according to verse 3, it is attributed to God's wonderful, great mercy. Listen, all of God's goodness begins with His mercy. And due to our human nature, we are all subject of God's wrath. God's righteous judgment condemns us. God's perfect holiness frowns even upon our best deeds. God's surpassing glory crushes us because of our sin. And God's lawful truth confirms the wrath of God which we so greatly deserve. Yet, He who is merciful and abundant in love allows us to be born again. That is wonderful news. Really to consider that we have an opportunity as being subjects of God's wrath due to our sinful nature. Yet the great news is, you can be born again. I say this as many times as I can, especially when I have the opportunity to speak at funeral services, especially for those that are Christian people that we knew have passed on to and and gone to be with the Lord. I always tell the families the greatest gift that they gave their family is that they were born again. And that is a great promise. Peter uses actually the same words that Jesus used in John chapter 3, verse 3, when Jesus has this wonderful conversation with Nicodemus. He says, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And the meaning of born again means that you have been born from above. It's a new life that is only found in God, that only God can provide. It is nothing from this earth. It is nothing from our own flesh that we can produce. And because of God's mercy, He provides us a new family along with an everlasting hope. And you see, Jesus is not just hope for the day or even hope for the moment or even hope during a hard moment, but because we've been born again, Jesus Christ is our living hope who endures for all eternity. And Why and how can this be even about Jesus? Well... It's because Jesus is risen from the dead never to die again. Think about that. Never to die again. He is raised from the dead. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle John receives the vision from the resurrected Christ there on the island of Patmos. And in verse 18 of chapter 1 of Revelation, Jesus says this, I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Jesus is alive. Jesus is our living hope. And as we have been born again, we have also inherited a great promise. That is everlasting life with God, which is something that will never cease to exist. John chapter 17 verse 3, Jesus says in his high priestly prayer, this is eternal life, that they will know the one true God. And please understand, because we know God, God has the power to keep us saved. And there is nothing that we could do to lose this blessed salvation. Consider Jesus' words that were recorded in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. That right there is the picture of salvation. And then he says here, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. So being that we are born again, This is also our position with God. This is our standing with God. Being born again also means that we have been justified by this faith. We have been justified by God. And because this is our position, our standing with God, we are now identified with Christ. We have been granted a wonderful inheritance that is everlasting. Nothing can tarnish or extinguish that promised inheritance that is only given by Him. And it's now that we here on this side of eternity as Christians are saved, we look forward to that day when Christ returns, which is the visible and physical future salvation. That is the promised resurrection for all those who have put their trust in Christ, the risen Savior. Then in verse 6, Peter says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if it it be necessary, that means if it's God's will, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you do not now see, though you do not uh, see him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, in the historical context here, Peter realized that Christians who were spread throughout Asia Minor were also experiencing some type of grief, which is labeled in verse six as various trials. Now, we don't have any specific uh, information on what these trials were, but most biblical scholars do believe that the majority of persecution, due to some historical ar- uh, uh, art- articles, that persecution was happening and that some Christians were being put to death, either because they were Christians or because they were sharing the gospel. There were imprisonments happening. Uh, some were separated from their families for long periods of time. And so, yes, there were various trials. There was suffering going on with Christians. But I think it's important to note that at times, even in God's perfect will, God allows trials for His children. Sometimes it's to test our faith. Sometimes it may uh, come by the way of the Lord's discipline, which we should not despise. Sometimes it's because of unrepented sin in our life. And maybe it's just because we live in a fallen world, but we have to endure trials on this side of eternity. And I would encourage you as a brother in Christ, don't lose heart during these trials. Don't give up. Because Peter says in verse 6 that God's salvation is more than enough to rejoice Even in the midst of our suffering, God's salvation is more than enough to rejoice. Yes, the joy that comes from the salvation that God provides and even the grief that we experience here on this earth, those two can be mingled together. And we need to have a Christ-minded grasp upon that. But again, in the midst of our suffering, don't lose heart. Don't curse God. Don't feel as if you always have this need to completely, completely rationalize it. Because there is a result of our many trials. There is a great result because our faith isn't tested. Because God doesn't know how much faith or what kind of faith that we have. Uh, it, it isn't test. Uh, it is, excuse me. It is tested because we often are ignorant of the kind of faith that we have. You see, God's purpose in testing is to display the enduring quality of our faith. This is why Peter compares our faith to the process of purifying gold. Now, there really is a really cool, neat process of how you purify gold. I'm not smart enough to really tell you how that works. I've seen it uh, on the YouTube before. But with that being said... Here's the bottom line that Peter wants us to understand. Here's the message that he is relaying to us. These sufferings that we endure as his people are there that our faith might be purified and be shown as genuine. Faith is tested to show that it is sincere faith. It is tested to show that it is true faith. Faith is tested to show the strength of our faith. Faith is tested to purify us, which is the sanctification of the believer, that we would grow in holiness to the Lord. Then in verse 8, Peter, clearly he had seen Jesus, both before and after the resurrection, but most likely most of these Christians in the early church had not seen Jesus. But nevertheless, they loved him. Jesus was no less real because they had not seen Him, and this stands true today. No, we have not seen Jesus, yet we love Him because He loved us first. No, we don't see Jesus, yet our faith is in Him because of the historical resurrection of the Savior. But I do find it interesting. Peter clearly states here in the Scriptures We do not see Him. Yet there's these self-proclaimed prophets and apostles today out there that they are claiming that Jesus visits them physically on a regular basis, yet somehow they haven't died from that. I don't understand that. My dad used to say, it don't take a rocket surgeon to figure that one out. They're lying. They're both lying and being deceptive. That's silly. It's ridiculous. It's harmful. And I would just encourage you, if you hear that, If you hear people claiming this extra-biblical revelation that Jesus comes to them in bodily form and tells them that they need to do this even though it's not found in the Word, mark and avoid them. Because the Scriptures say we do not see Him, but yet we love Him because He first loved us. No, we don't see Him, but the point that Peter is making here is that one day, which Peter states as the revelation of Jesus there in verse 7... That is the day when all believers will finally see Jesus face to face. Not now, but because we have faith and this faith is being tested, God is making us holy into the image of His Son. God is getting us ready to see Him. The writer of Hebrews says in uh, chapter 12, verse 14, Without holiness, no one is able to see the Lord. So again, I encourage you don't lose heart in the midst of your suffering. There is a glorious outcome that is awaiting us as Christians. Paul states in Romans chapter 8, verse 18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, that's great news. Verse 10. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. So, even the Old Testament prophets predicted the sufferings of the Messiah. In Exodus chapter 12, Moses compares the Passover lamb to the future Messiah who would suffer. In Leviticus chapter 17, Moses again says that the Passover lamb will spill his blood for redemption. Numbers 21, Moses makes the bronze serpent that that represented the Son of Man that would be lifted up for salvation, and Jesus affirms this in John 3. Psalm 22, David prophesied that the Messiah would be scorned and forsaken. This is the famous psalm where David says, My God, why have you forsaken me? And then Jesus says that while he's on the cross. In Isaiah 50, Isaiah tells us that the Messiah would be mocked, physically abused. And Isaiah 53 teaches that the Messiah would suffer and be murdered for his sheep, plus many, many more. Peter reminds Christians here that everything that was written by the prophets of the Old Testament came from the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit. This is not a different spirit. No, this is just another term that is used for the Holy Spirit. To help us understand that, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19-21, through 21, I want you to listen carefully to this. Starting in verse 19, Peter says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention as, a, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we think about the phrase that we have from Scripture in 2 Timothy, where Paul says that all Scripture is God-breathed. It is breathed out by God. The Greek word for that is theabnustos. And Peter is actually telling us this very same thing here, that these men were carried along by God the Holy Spirit. And the picture that is painted here in the Greek is like a sailboat where the wind is pushing it along the water. So when we think about Scripture, it doesn't come from man's own mind, doesn't come from man's heart, no. The men that recorded these down were carried along by God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is what he says here. And Peter also mentions that this salvation, this inheritance, this blessing that is brought on by the gospel, even the Old Testament prophets predicted this for our sake, that future believers will put their faith in the Messiah who is called the Christ because of the gospel, the death and the resurrection of this Messiah. And not only did the Old Testament prophets long for the gospel, But even the angels in heaven long for this good news about the Messiah who was to come. Think about this. Today we have the message of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel message we have. The Old Testament prophets were longing for that. And even the angelic beings long for the gospel. So to have this gospel here on this side of eternity for us as sinners, and the angelic beings don't even have the opportunity to have this gospel, they long for it. What a blessing it is that we as sinners have the greatest news in the history of mankind. The gospel message that is able to save the soul is given to us. Christians, we have received an astonishing blessing through this gospel message. And the salvation for our souls has been accomplished. This promised inheritance that we have received should motivate us to set our hope entirely upon our future reward. And then today, we should live in fear of the God who redeemed us at the cost of His own Son. So in conclusion of the message today, what a blessing it is that we have been born again into a living hope that endures for all eternity. can't be taken from us. God will hold it for us. In the midst of your trials, Christians, don't lose heart. There is a result to our many trials. Don't lose heart because God is getting us ready to see Him. God is getting us ready to be with Jesus. Never lose sight of this great salvation that God has given us how great a salvation we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you again for your word. I pray, Lord, that you have been exalted. And Lord, that we have understood your word and that it would lead to obedience to you. God, thank you so much for sending your son Christ. That is how you demonstrated your love towards us by allowing your son to be sacrificed on our behalf. But Lord Jesus, we know that that in this horrible death that you did not deserve, that we deserve, God, you have extended wonderful mercy towards us. Help us to never lose sight of the wonderful mercy that you have given us. Help us, Lord, to walk in an obedience and fear of you today. And God, as you are taking our lives and you are molding us like the clay because the Scriptures teach that you're the potter. And God, I pray that you would mold us, that you would sanctify us, God, getting us ready to be in the presence of you. Lord, may we walk humbly with our God. May we love you. May we cherish you. And God, may we have the opportunity to share the gospel with those in need. Thank you for all that you've done for this. We praise in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.